Welcome to Tuke Talk, a video podcast by the band Tuke, and brought to you by Blackfrog Media. We chat with the best in the music industry from yesterday and today with a focus on the good old days of Canadian rock. This episode originally streamed live on Tuesday, March 9th, 2021 on Facebook Live. Now, here are your hosts, Todd, Brent, Shane, Corey, and Darren. Boom. Hey, hey. Live, baby. We are live. Welcome to Tuke Talk, Tuesday. Morning. Only it's, morning. only it's Monday today, because once again, we are pre-recording the show. Why is that? Yeah, we we had to start pre-recording because of all the profanity used. This is a lot of editing involved, some nudity, <laughs> some adult situations and violence. <laughs> Seems like that. So how's everybody been? Great, really? great. How are you? Tell us about how cold it is in Winnipeg so I can feel better about life. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is that today it's cold, but by the time that this airs, we're supposed to be on plus side of things all week next week. So, I mean, that's... For March, pretty good. Um, That's you know, wonderful. The fact that, you know, probably count on two hands how many really, really cold days we've had. So I'm not going to complain this year. I mean, you know where you are. You got to live with yeah. it. So no, it's, exactly. You know, it's the same it, thing every year. It is winter and it's all relative because even in the desert or in California or wherever it is, when it starts to get just slightly cold, you're like, damn. You're like, yeah. You kind of forget where you're from. It's like, I have to wear a jacket? Like, what is this? <laughs> well, the only thing, too, is that, I mean, because there's a lack of things to do. I mean, the minute that spring happens in Canada, as you know, you just immediately want to go and do stuff. And there's just still, I mean, it's 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 loosening up and things are kind of, you know, opening up a little bit, but uh, still nowhere really to go. I mean, so just looking forward. I yeah, I know. Darren, behind you, we can always gauge what's going on because your screen doors that lead outside, they're just blinding right now from the white Right. behind you and, and those are, and my blinds are closed i mean that's oh. just yeah it just, just to show you yeah amazing know, it's, but it's why crazy. do you have the same picture behind you that i do what is what, what is going on here why why do i have the same Us? or todd oh, oh todd, todd does yeah yeah so uh, you guys you guys are like Fitz a I, or something Fitz and i pre-recorded on the same set these are happening at different times it's a whole thing <laughs> how do you oh, synchronize God. the topic <laughs> yeah, you got the same back blue screen it's so choreographed. It's it's we rehearsed this for months. <laughs> that pillow and couch, it looks like what are you on the set of Austin Powers? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, on on another subject, I sold a car yesterday on Carvana. What? It's are a you, great are service. You, are you sponsored by Carvana? What's happening? No, yeah, no, exactly. I was just about hey, to say wait, 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 wait. sponsored by Carvana, but in yes. Canada, it would, in Canada, it's Carvana. Carvana. Carvana, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if, if you ever need to get rid of a car, it's super easy. You just do it online and they come pick it up with a flatbed the next day. Or actually, wow. like, you, can, you can set between the next day or, or two weeks, depending if you have another backup vehicle or not, or purchase a new vehicle. Anyway. This Tuk Talk brought to you by Carvana. 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 Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so no, that's I mean, cool. That's I, I, I'm assuming you sell. You know, is it a car? Like, I th I think that that exists up here. I saw the uh, the ads, but uh, yeah, yeah. If Kinda you like if you drive down the 405 towards uh, like Orange County, they actually have the uh, car vending machines where you can. Yeah, it's 
It's so weird. It's like oh, yeah. the cars go around on this vending machine. You could pick, you could buy a car out of the, out of the vending machine. It's so wow. bizarre. Yeah. It's just like directed by R Ridley Scott or something. It's Blade Runner or something. It's totally, <laughs> it's, it's the future for sure. Wow. Maybe. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So everybody's good. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an early morning for you guys there, which is what well, we normally do this, what, a couple hours later in the day. So you guys, mm -hmm. uh, you know, got your coffees ready and uh, we yep. can pretty much bring on our guests and go to town. Shane is not with us today. No. Um, Shane is uh, is absent, but uh, we're going to roll forward. So who wants to do the introduction? Corey. Uh, I'll do it. Corey. What can, what can be said about our guest today? Well, let me read because I made a bunch of points. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is a major hero of mine. He penned hits like My Girl. Of course, we covered My Girl on our first album. Super uh, challenging feat, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, worthy of all the time we put into it because it's such a masterpiece. It really is. Also, Lonesome Mary, I Believe, What You Gonna Do When I'm Gone. And my favorite actually is... Um, Secret information. I, I got the word on you. <laughs> Great. Oh, I love that. Love well. that song. Totally. Awesome. Um, they've had 14 albums under this guy. Uh, wow. My brother Kevin often said, this guy can sing the phone book and make it sound like a, a hit song. So we have a phone book. Uh, I have one right here. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much history to this band. Like it goes all the way back to like the early seventies. Um, he also has a musical family. Um, uh, Camille and Saffron, his daughters are just amazing. Uh, we're going to hear about them too, hopefully. And incidentally, this guy is my wife's hall pass. <laughs> <laughs> wow this just took a turn this is why we have to this is why we have to record this show because it gets a little blue she asked me to say it and then she said no don't say it i'm like i'm gonna definitely say that <laughs> ladies and gentlemen one of my favorite singers rock royalty um please welcome to tuk talk mr bill henderson yeah. <laughs> hey you guys how's that <laughs> intro yeah 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 can you can you hear me right now we can oh, yeah you, you can okay good okay yeah. good hey, i can't and that's fine all right man <laughs> right, 19, 1982 i think that was it still wow. fits <laughs> that's the good things about you Craig. Right? <laughs> so did you own that like you bought that legit seeing yeah where'd you, where'd where'd you get show? that it was the center of the arts in regina oh wow mm. Yeah. So that was like 82. And I can't take credit for this. I did have one, but it's long gone. This is my wife's shirt. So that just, that just <laughs> says it all. Uh, <laughs> she's not wearing a shirt right now, just in case. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't taken it off since 82. <laughs> Except for today. Is that the Opus X tour? Which tour is yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Magnum Opus, yeah. Opus Magnum 10, Opus, yeah. yeah. Opus yeah. 10, yeah, yeah. X. Still yeah, we always eight. wondered if it was X or 10, you know. Yeah, well. But it, it is the 10th album. It was. That was the idea, right? But a lot of people said Opus X, and, you know, it makes it sound a little racier, so whatever. I guess it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, as yeah. a father, the, uh, my first question is, as a father, how could you possibly allow your children to follow you into music? Yeah, really. I know what you mean. <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing is that, that music, I mean, you know, music's so great, right? That's why you Isn't guys it? are doing it. And and, no. and uh, how, could you, how could you stop them, really? And then not encourage them because you know it's gratifying and and 
they have, you know, I just got into, well, I got into the music scene at a very propitious time. It was really a lucky time like that. Uh, the uh, late 60s, uh, it was just exploding, right? So that was great. And, and not everybody gets that opportunity. So, you know, I did I did pretty well with what I have. And, and uh, I think Saffron and Camille are both like, super talented but you know they 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 never sort of did that thing right they mm. they, they got their own things and saffron is still does uh um she still does um uh session session singing you know yeah and voiceover work and and if you listen to uh or if you watch um was a david suzuki's program uh nature the nature of things right and you put it on assisted video you'll hear saffron telling you what's going on you can close your eyes and you'll, you'll know oh, what's wow. going on wow that's <laughs> super cool so so yeah. in a way it's kind of like your kids follow you into the family business essentially whether you own a convenience yeah. store or a restaurant so it's very very normal for that to happen in reality mm-hmm. especially when the talent is passed down like that i mean they're both amazing yeah well look at Corey. i mean you know your story with your family i mean that's that's so amazing you had a band man that, yeah that's incredible that's incredible yeah, yeah it's, it's incredible, but it's also a form of child abuse. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, take take them on the road, and that's totally unfair. <laughs> that's really unfair. And, yeah, and Camille, uh, my youngest daughter, who I think is the same age as you, uh, Corey. Anyway, uh, she's born 1970, and yeah, right. uh, she uh, she's teaching voice. And she's really good. She's taught me a lot of stuff, which is really wow. cool. You know, I've learned wow. learned stuff from her, which is really great. Were you actually ever trained in your younger years as a vocalist? I mean, there's, if, if you say no, I'm going to be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I certainly was not. And uh, uh, I, I mean, I always I didn't want to be trained, right? I mean, I, I think we probably all, our parents said, oh, you want to play guitar? Okay, well, you got to take lessons. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you go take <laughs> lessons and they make you play Old Black Joe. And, you know, <laughs> they make you play all this stuff. And you're going, I want rock and roll. What are you doing? <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that happened to me. And that, yeah, I don't say everybody, I think. Yeah. 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 Sure. I think I think my first question for you is why Chilliwack and not Abbotsford? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that should be obvious. <laughs> yeah, but if you were Abbotsford, you'd be like higher up in the alphabet. If people search for ABBA, they would find you immediately. That's true. We that love that. Um, but anyways, uh, no, it, it was, uh, it's a kind of, well, you know, the band before Chilliwack that we were, all of us in Chilliwack were in was the Collectors, right? And we started in 1966 in the Torch Cabaret in Vancouver. And we tried and tried and tried to find a name. We couldn't find a name. So we weren't called the collectors. We were the Torch Band, and but we got we were writing songs immediately, and we and we got the opportunity to go down to the states and record in you know Columbia Studios with the great. I mean, the Beach Boys recorded there. Everybody recorded. It was just an amazing experience for us to go and do that. And we recorded a single. It's called "Looking at a Baby," and came back to to Canada. And they were they mixed it and they mastered it. And then it came time to print labels. And we got a phone call and I said, "Guys, we need a name. We're printing labels, right? You're either the connection or the collectors." And we were like, "Oh, gee, we'll get back to you." <laughs> so we chose the collectors. So we had gone through lists and lists and lists of names, and we just like couldn't do it so it was only like 
what three years later that it was time we had a new band with you know basically howie our singer uh, was no longer in the band and we were changing musical direction so we figured we need to change our name and uh <laughs> no one could think of anything we didn't even want to go there and the drummer said after you know, at some point we were driving in alberta or something out on the road and he says why don't we call ourselves chilliwack we went chilliwack why why would we do that well he says your question <laughs> um well he he said well it sounds good number one which it does you know, it's got all that chunk chilliwack yeah. you know it's got chunk to it right yeah so chilliwack and um he said it means he said i looked it up it means valley of many streams and also means going back up valley of many streams was like yeah we like to play many different kinds of music we you know we claire's a jazz sax player played rock but he was a jazz player and i had played jazz and folk and and we liked all kinds of stuff right and we were doing psychedelic which you could do whatever you wanted so um so valley of many streams sounded good and going back up well it sounded like our career you know so something great happens and then Right? <laughs> and then you work your way back up again something really cool happens and then <laughs> so going back up was the right way to look you know good getting better so but it turns out that and i just found this out because like what it was about three years ago claire and i claire was the sax player and one of the you know he's one of the founding members and uh he and i went up and met with the i guess the hereditary chief of the Chilliwack people and i'd never met him before and i felt like you know we need to go and say like we've been using your name and we thought maybe we should say hi <laughs> something you know sort of acknowledge and 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 say thank you essentially and and and, and that's what we did and and <clears throat> he tried to teach me how to say it the way they say it i couldn't get it but it's something like and uh so and and he told us what it really means and what it really means is as far as your canoe can go wow because that's wow. where they were right up at the head of the flat uh delta land before you get into the mountains and all of a sudden it's a raging stream the river's a raging stream but prior to that it's i mean down on the the flats there it's all nice and calm as far as your canoe can go that's where chilliwack was mm-hmm so I like that one the best, especially now. That's a great yeah. story. <laughs> That's so, so cool. Yeah, the, the much better than Abbotsford. Different there. The pronunciation yeah. was much different. But is that is that the original spelling, or is that modified? Obviously, as well. Well, what's the original spelling? You know, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think they had our alphabet for one right. thing. Yeah. No. No. As um, the English, as my English friends say, have you heard this group Chilliwack? Exactly. <laughs> I that down in space here too. Do they say chili whack yeah, down here? Do chili whack? Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, at least Marilyn McCoo on Solid Gold when you guys were on there, she pronounced it correctly. Yeah, yeah. And she, I, I remember they even kind of clarified this, you know, from this little town in Canada named Chilliwack. You know, it was like a little pretense backstory <laughs> on the name because I'm sure the first time people in America hearing Chilliwack, you know, for, yeah, for a band name, yeah. But, uh, but they, they, I think they liked Tillywhack. <laughs> right? That suited them just fine, right? Tilly dog sort of thing, right? Especially for them, because it's in Canada, so it's got to be chilly, you know, so that's, yeah. it writes itself. Well, there's yeah. that too, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the name. That's let's awesome. Talk about, let's talk about Solid Gold, because that was an epic moment for me as a little kid. Me too. Seeing you guys mm-hmm. doing My Girl on Solid Gold. Did you do it on uh, Dick Clark, too? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Dick Clark. 
Yeah, couple couple more as well. I mean, uh, that, that's so cool. Difference. And you guys had the uh, the mic stand with the three mics coming off of yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, you get yeah. It tight and that is so cool. Yeah, yeah. We need that. Idea was that. We need that with Tuke. Yeah, yeah, we need that. Have it. Yeah, you should have it. Yeah, we that's totally me. Do, yeah. you still have that mic stand we can rip off you? <laughs> you know, I might have it. And you'd be welcome to it. I'd love to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I got that for my uh, my daughters and their cousins and a couple other kids were in a, a group when they were about nine years old called the Little Ladies. Oh, wow. And we set them up with these things. I set them up with these things on the, I guess there were at least two of them, probably a center single mic and then uh, on the outside, yeah, two on each stand, something like that anyway. That's where they came from. And then, you know, when we did the, the video... Oh, we did that that stuff, you know, and brought it out. Brian thought it was cool, too, so we did it. Because it has that sort of throwback to the doo-wop, you know, standing yeah. on a corner together, kind of singing together. I mean, the whole vibe of that of that moment is so... How did that come together? Was the gone, gone, gone first, and then the other stuff kind of... I, I, it's such a... There's so many elements about that song as far as a Beach Boys type thing going on, and it's, it's really smashed down a lot of doors for you guys, I assume, because it was everywhere when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, it was really big for us. Um, yeah, it uh, <clears throat> was. Uh, you remember those days? Like that's that was 1980 when we wrote that, I think. So there was the the sort of the punk new wave thing happening, and Brian and I were jumping on that, and we were down in my basement, and we we recorded three tunes, I think it was, <clears throat> really, you know, go 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 go, go this kind of stuff, right, and. Uh, we sent it off, and our, our managers uh, took it down to uh, New York, Jimmy Einer. Okay, yeah. yeah. Millennium, right? And uh, I took it down to him, and, and Jimmy said, yeah, he said, you know, I liked it better when they did that dream stuff. And so they, they told us this is what he said, and we went, hmm. okay, so we went and got on Brian's boat. Let's get in the dream space, right? Got on Brian's boat and went up the coast. We were up in Pender Harbor, and we had a Fender Rhodes and some guitars, right? And so uh, Brian was sitting there playing. He loved those slash chords, right? He was doing that stuff all the time. I'm not not so. I wasn't so into the slash chords, but he was. And so uh, he's doing these things, and he goes down, 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 and he had kind of a nice thing happening. And we we both had to be said, ah, we can't use that though. And I said, well, maybe we can, right? Because what I thought of right away was gone, gone, right? Gone, yeah. gone, gone. You've been gone so long. Just seemed obvious. So I put that in there. He said, yeah, maybe that's it. And we worked a couple things, worked out the verse a bit and stuff like that. And it grew. And then we got back from the boat and uh, I took it and put it in my Porta studio. Remember Porta Studios? Like yeah. four oh, tracks yeah. and cassette yeah. tape. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I put it in my Porta studio and came up with the that center acapella section with the modulation and everything, right? And it was just, uh, I just took the slash chord and moved it down, bah, 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 like that. And it's not neat. So uh, that that's pretty much, you know, how it developed. Um, and at that point, we when we went in the studio, we didn't, it was just Brian and, and Ab and I. We didn't bother with, we, we'd had a number of drummers, but he Brian is very particular about drummers. And, right. and they had to be like, had to be just exact, right? If they weren't doing it, he'd just sit down and do it. Right. Because so, he could. Because he could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always say, Brian McLeod is one of my favorite drummers. Totally. Yeah. yeah. 
and the sounds the were really good. The sounds of the drums were yeah. great. Right, right, yeah. And a solid yeah. guitar player. Come on, I mean, like those solos. It, forget about it. He's pretty good. He's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> and he lived on a boat. I mean, he's like a pirate or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> His dog was called Sailor. Wow. I mean, when you heard that Bill, uh, um, when Brian Brian was living on the boat, didn't everybody think for a second, man, I'd like to live in a boat too. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Or did you? Or did you think? Is he homeless or something? Or <laughs> like, well, he was when he first came out <clears throat> to the coast. Uh, he stayed in my place, right? I had a big house on Kitts Point in Vancouver. It was built in 1905, like four stories or something. And you know, right wow. in the attic, I had my studio, and he was in one of the rooms just below that, and blah blah blah. Actually, I didn't have those things at that point. You know, it was a house that we. We bought real cheap, and it was because uh, <clears throat> it was so old. But it it was someone had made it into a tenement house, and so every room was a different dwelling. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And so there were all these people in there, and we just took like we took the main floor when we moved in, and then someone moved out, and Brian was coming out. So why don't you stay in, in this? And he did, but he, he didn't like it very much. So he uh, ended up, you know finding a boat and getting uh, getting enough money together to, to get a boat. It wasn't the one that, you, that you've seen, but, uh, yeah. He, he was taking our leg. He's moving to the West Coast. You know, the sun hardly ever shines. What's good about this place? Boats. That's what's good about it, right? So he got a boat. There you go. And yeah. boat on the, songs. the boat on the like cover that. of the album, was that was that the boat? No, very very similar boat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so that's so funny. I, I, Corey's the kind of guy who would live in a boat. I'd be like, there's no Wi-Fi on this boat. I mean, man, there probably is these days. I don't know. There's that no works. Wi-Fi back in yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Back then, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But there's, I just, there's a I whole was, chapter of Chilliwack before Brian that I think is really interesting because it's yeah. like, you know, you were already a, a successful act long before Brian came along. So yeah. what, what was the Canadian music scene like back then? Oh, well, let, let alone international. I mean... I'm always fascinated by the idea of like, you know, back in the day before there's in-ear monitors and social media, you know, you're like kind of like everything's kind of, you know, throw and go. And it's a whole different time, whole different time. And the thing about it was, of course, that if you wanted to make a record, you had to have a record company. No one made mm. records in their in their bedroom or their living room. You couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. You didn't have the gear. It costs like a lot of dough to make a record. So the record company was the investor. And in order for them to put money in, you had to make hits. 100%. You know, yeah. Except, you know, there was a little period there, right, in the late 60s when they didn't know what what was going on. But these hippies were doing this weird shit, and everybody liked it, right? I don't know what it is, but let's sign them right away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so people got away with some interesting stuff, you know. You hear stories about Janice being signed, uh, Janice and Big Brother and the holding company getting signed, and all of that. She comes in the in the 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 office nude, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, making a, some kind of statement. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was it was very very different. And and when we started out with with Chilliwack after the Collectors thing, we were a jam band, and we ended up very quickly being a trio just claire on sax and bass 
Ross on drums, me on guitar and bass, a little bit of fiddle. And wow. uh, yeah, bad fiddle. And, uh, and, uh, the, and, and, and well, we, we had a few tunes, but when we were writing tunes, we, we took the position of uh, writing them uh, as more frameworks than actual arrangements and songs, more a framework for jamming, a framework that we could use to play. We could take something that's three or four or five minutes on the record and we could play it for 10, you know, because sure. we, lo- we love to just play. And, uh, and, and that served us well for a number of years and and it's hard to imagine now it's such a different time but at that time what we wanted more than anything else was for something to go wrong on stage because if something went wrong then you had to improvise you had to you had to come up with something (laughs) and like for instance we played one gig uh, at the I think it was the Avalon Ballroom in San Francisco and and, uh, we came on stage and the whole you know, several rows back was all these bikers, right? And they were in a snarl, snarly mood, and they just said, at us, right? They're, and and Claire, Claire got over to his side of the stage with the sax, and he went, like this at them, right? They yelled back, they yelled back at him, and he yelled at them with his sax, and then I did it with the guitar, and we did this back and forth thing, and they fucking loved it, right? They loved it. <laughs> you couldn't play a hit song that would get them as happy as they were at that time. And and we we took that kind of thing and we used it all the time. We used it whenever we could. We played with uh, we played with um, uh, Eric Burden and War in Calgary one time, and we I guess we played a little bit long, and his. He and his outfit, someone in his outfit, decided we had to go. They pulled our plugs and wheeled our amps off the stage, right? <laughs> so, there's, so there's no bass, there's no guitar, but there's still drums because that's a PA, right? And they, didn't, they weren't out there. So, so Ross, bless his heart, kept on playing. And he was doing kind of tribally stuff, like boom, 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 and go, Gene, go, right? And uh, it's that kind of thing. And and I said to uh, Cliff, who was our room manager, I said, get those metal garbage cans out of the out of the dressing room. And he brought them up. And Claire and I laid one down in front. Each of us laid one down in front. Got sticks from us. We started put the mics down to them. I started playing on the on these things, right? And then we started chanting. You know, they pulled our plugs. They pulled our plugs. We're in the bedroom. They our and the place went ape. They went ape. They they couldn't freaking believe it. You know. And when Eric, because they they got the picture, they understood all of a sudden something real had happened there. There was a, there was some real life drama, and we were singing about it. And you know, you, you can't get more direct than that. And and when you know when Eric and the boys came back on, there was not a lot of energy left for them, <laughs> you know, because right. we just we just opened the place up wide. So there's there's something about that I love so much that we did back then, which was recognizing that the room itself and the people and the and how it all comes together is is an entity. It's got it's got energy to it. If you can play that energy. Which, you know, I think we all do that anyway. That's what we do. Like when the people are, you know, the people are there and they're all close and they're, they're, they're grinning at you or whatever. Like you play that, right? That's what you play. I mean, you're playing a tune, but that energy, you're flowing it through. And so that's, that was, 
you know, we were taking it pretty directly that way, but but that's what we did. I love that. It's great. So that was that's that was so the cool. That's the first era of Chilliwack. The first like first section, chapter one. <laughs> was there a, was there an element of, of psychedelics going on back in those days? Like, did you experiment with that, and was that part of the music making process? Not much. I mean, we did we did have a toke a lot of times. By the time we got into 70, 71, 72, you know, Cliff had, Cliff had come back with a with a, a doobie, and we'd each have a toke, right, and then we'd yeah. go out. And and I and it made me absolutely totally one hundred percent paranoid. So I didn't know I was either going to shit or go blind up there. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> uh, on, a, on a side note, a lot of Americans think that's the name of our band, Toke. Yeah, how did they do? Right, yeah, you got a lot of fans. I think from that probably totally that right. alone. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Okay. So. Let's go back to my girl for a second, because I want to pick your brain on how that whole mid, uh, the breakdown section with the vocals came about, and those intervals, <laughs> like, uh, it's like, yeah. how do you come up with that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I did it on that, I did it on that Porta studio. Wow. And uh, that's wow. where it was. I, I was at home with the Porta studio. We had the frame of the song written, but... You know, we needed a breakdown and stuff. So, yeah, and, and it just, uh, it was probably, yeah, I always love contrary motion, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. things starting here and going far, you know, like that. Yeah, and that's what that was. Yeah, the bottom's going lower and the top's going higher. So it kind of rips you apart, like it's right because you know, of course, right. the low note is my girl goes down, and the top note goes my girl, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus, they were slash. They were slash chords. You know. Yeah. Let's do it now. Yeah. You guys know how to do it. I've forgotten. You go for it. <laughs> Ten thirty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I was just gonna say you hear a lot of you hear a lot of artists that write songs, and then obviously over the course of the year they go, oh, "Man, I wish we didn't do that because." How was that to do live over all those years? I mean, you know, you doing that and, you know, obviously, like you said, I mean, it's one of those things where people know it so well that, you know, that's what they hear in their head. So, yeah, yeah, I know. And it was, you know, you work your ass off in the studio to pull it off and you're punching and you're doing all this stuff. And then you get out on stage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I tell you, like, I it, it that really had a negative effect on the career was that problem. That very problem. And it arose in the first place because um, I'd be writing the songs, and when I was writing a song, I'd basically be sitting by myself most time, unless Brian and I were doing it together or one of the other guys and me, but mostly it was by myself. And I'd be in the studio, my wife would be there. I didn't want to sing loud because I was probably singing absolute gibberish, garbage. Like, you know, it's, it's embarrassing, right? You, you know where you want to go, but so far it sounds like hell. So, so I would sing real quiet. So I go, and I wanted it to be intense. So I went up, but singing quietly. Then you get out on stage and you're trying to sing loud up there. Oh my God. And in three, three nights, I wouldn't have a voice anymore. I could barely speak. So right. I, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I went to a singing teacher. Uh, so this first one I went to is like 1976, I think. I went to a singing teacher and she, <laughs> she said, I, I gave her our album and she said, and she came back the next, I came back the next week. She said, you call that singing? 
Come on. Wow. She did. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Unbelievable. I How many records it. did she sell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then, so I, but I did work with her for a while. And I learned a little bit. And then there was another guy I worked with. And I learned a little bit. And then I Seth Riggs, I got his book and I, I did his exercises and stuff. I learned a little bit more. And then with Camille, it all kind of came together. And I learned how to sing every night. I can sing up high and I can sing loud. I basically learned how to manage a head tone and a mixed tone between chest and head and that kind of thing, right? And I'm sure you guys have all worked on that. But uh, I didn't know nothing about it for a long time. Yeah. Wow, that's and, amazing. But then, yeah, would you, go ahead. I wanted to ask, like, are you, when you're a younger, you know, guitar playing, <coughs> up and coming before you're actually in a band, most people, and, and Todd, you know this, you know, you don't plan or it's sort of like you default into the singer, the front guy over yeah. time, right? Yeah. And there had to have been that, that stage where it's like, oh, now Bill's singing more and you're fronting and then the responsibilities as the singer and the, the whole idea of being the, the, the you know, you've got to, you know, maintain as, as the, the guy that's got the voice, you know? So that's, that's a whole other thing that you probably, did you default into that or did, I mean, how does that become? Yeah, I became the singer when Howie left and we became Chilliwack. That, that's when I became the singer. And sure, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'd spent uh, so many years and continued to spend <clears throat> a number of years, yeah, where I was singing. And of course, I had to communicate with the audience, right? The front man, like you say. You got it. You got that responsibility, and but you're doing it on behalf of all the guys who are behind you. So, and and some of them know a whole lot better than you what you ought to say. At least that was the case for me because I wasn't an entertainer. I was a musician to start with. I was a musician. I was a guitar player. That was it. I didn't want to have to communicate out there. I just wanted to get into the notes, right? And but now all of a sudden here you are, like you say, you de you default now. Now how do you do it, right? And I go, all oh, these guys behind me. Well, mainly one who who knew what I should be saying, and of course I was never saying it, and I'd hear about it, and <laughs> and it would essentially make me uptight. So that that made it for sure I wasn't going to be good as a front man because if you're an uptight front man, it's like you know, it's like doesn't work, right? So it took me. Until I was doing solo work. Well, actually, the very first time I, I opened up on stage was about 1985 or something. What was it? it was, oh, it was 80, 87 or 88. It was in there. Because we, we, went, we did a tour with the, with the military, right? And we went to uh, Germany and uh, Egypt and, and Israel and stuff where Canadian wow. troops, peacekeepers... Working, you know, they're working for the UN. The peacekeeping troops were stationed, and so we would go and play for them. And I remember one night, you know, the officers get to sit right in front, down front. The officers are in front, all, all, you know, enlisted guys and everything. They're they're back there and everything, and they're routing. And the officers, they they don't do other all right. So you're playing it, yeah, exactly. That, that's, it. <laughs> yeah. that's it. And so, <laughs> so I started talking to them. You know, I started talking what, what I was feeling, and finally I said, you know, I'm probably sounding pretty boring to you right now, right? And they kind of a couple of them were like, yeah, yeah, like this. And I said, well, you know what? 
there's nothing more boring than sitting on your hands. Right? <laughs> you guys are just sitting on your hands. And that was the first time I ever said something that I really felt. And it was, the reason it was something as negative as that was because it was just so much pressure. It had to come out, so it came out. And it built from there and grew from there so that I was relaxed enough to just speak my mind on stage. And when I went out and did solo work, I didn't have to worry about a band behind me who maybe thought I shouldn't say this or shouldn't say that. So I just said what I felt. And that developed me as the front man. So the singer's one thing, but the front man's another. Anyway, Brett, that's a long answer to your question, but no, that's what happened to me. Yeah. What exactly were you expected to be saying by, you know, by the other members of the band? <laughs> oh, yeah, good question. I, pro I wonder why I don't you remember. Don't <laughs> it probably yeah. doesn't matter now, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, all, all the usual rock cliché whatever you know hey right. how you doing out there you know the, all, all the stuff you say and and i don't mind saying it now either it doesn't Tip matter all that stuff yeah what's that your waitress all that kind of stuff yeah yeah well you know one of the one of, one of the things about the the rock vocabulary out there on stage that i started to realize in this year of covid and this four years of donald trump was that mm. he is a rock star. He goes out on <laughs> he well, goes out yeah. on stage and he's he's throwing the, the red hats out to people, right? Yeah, he, he works the crowd. He lies to them like crazy. Gets them all excited. Does all the things we do. Yeah, I'm looking at him going, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, that's that's what that's what we do. Yeah, he's making it work for him to say we make it work for us, right? Right. Because you're not wrong because it's like it doesn't matter if you have a cold or a sore knee you go out on stage and you fake your way through it and you have to, the audience has to believe that you are you know having a good time yeah they do nowadays everybody's got a cell phone in your face though so if you make a mistake yeah. or say something you know it's not like it was you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it's all there and and donald yeah, yeah. had to pay for some of that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Grab him by the Chilliwack. You grab him by the Chilliwack. <laughs> <laughs> that was a classic. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. So, so what is the... Go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say, you know, let's talk about Brian, Brian McLeod a little bit. And, and of course, everyone knows um, that he's no longer with us. And, you know, when did you find out about his cancer? And how did that play into what happened? Obviously... We know what happened with the band after that, but um, he wasn't in it anymore. But, you know, what was that like during that time? Well, he was already not in it um, okay. yeah. before. That was before the cancer. And and he and I, we'd gone out. <laughs> not many people know this. Um, before that tour, the tour you got the T-shirt for, that tour, I didn't play guitar. Okay. We'd had a meeting. The band meeting, right? And Brian said, "I think you should just sing. I think you shouldn't. I, 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 I think you should just sing, because, because, you know, my tuning, my timing. He was like, you know, he was like Mutt Lang in terms of accuracy. It's like I'm sorry, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nanosecond out, and that's way too much, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, wow, he was he was like so tight, so yeah. tight." And that it had to be like that, and and so he had he had basically 
suffered through as much of my playing as he could handle. <laughs> and he says, and you know, he said, so, so why don't you do what, like Loverboy, you know, why don't you, you just be there with the mic stand and do, then sing, you know? And, and, uh, I said, oh, I'll try it <laughs> like a fool. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so we rehearsed and everything, and we did a video, and then then the What You Gonna Do video, I'm there just with the mic stand, no guitar, mm -hmm. and so then we went out on the road, and uh, partway through that tour, that very tour, uh, my voice just started, it was like, it was forget it, just crazy, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it, right? So we, we stopped it, we stopped it. Okay. After we after we got back home, and I was not happy with the way things had gone. After we got home, I got a call from Brian. He said, "He said, you know, I want to make. Um, I I like to make headpins my top priority. That's what I want to do. I want to make it my number one band, right? Wow. And I I just said to him, I said, doesn't work for me. Mm. And he said, okay. So we so we decided to split at that point. Next mm. thing you know. We're getting a Juno for producers, uh, producer of the year, the two of us for for uh, you know secret information and whatever another yeah. another tune as well, and uh, so we go out there and we get our Juno and we're the only two people in the room that know that we're not going to be working together anymore. Oh my God! Wow. So it was it was a very interesting moment, you know. Bittersweet. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, <clears throat> by then, not long after that. Um, I got a boat as well, a big sailboat, and I was right down in the same same harbor as Brian. But it's been a few years. I don't know when that was. It must have been at least five years after. I'm not sure exactly, but <clears throat> but he hadn't been in the band for a while. And but we were still friends. And he came down and knocked on my my hatch and he said, "Bill, I just want you know, I just found out I got cancer." Oh. And I, hmm. Whoa. Oh. Wow. And uh, so, you know, it just took a while. It didn't take long after that. It was like, I don't know what it was, a year, maybe a year and a half, something like that. And he was gone. Mm. So amazing. So fast. You know, he he uh, he took the, he did the interventions. He did the chemo thing. And then it wasn't having enough effect. So he decided to take, to go down, it was Texas, where they would really do a heavy duty thing they wouldn't do in Canada. Wow. Uh, an, another chemo type thing and he went down and did that and came back wow he was so different he was like yeah it was really uh, kind of sad and and uh he was living in the the hotel they they bought a they, they they had a room for him in the hotel down at that harbor and and he had the windows the blinds shut all the time it was dark in there hmm he met his girlfriend in there, and I went and visited them, and yeah, wow. Hmm. Yeah, it's really too bad. It's so, so amazing. You know, that guy was so vital. He's yeah. one of the most energetic people, generous people I'd ever met. It's just a, he was a happy guy, but a ball buster at the same time. Really? You know, he just kicked ass like crazy. When he was going to do something, holy man, he was going to do it. All wow. the way, and yet he was always joking, and and yeah, he was a wonderful, wonderful character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful guy. You know, um, when we had Darby on the show, she kind of said the same thing. You know, that there was always a little bit of tension going on, and I guess that just was part of his work ethic in his, you know, his perfectionism maybe and whatnot. Yep. 
Yeah, and, and most of us weren't ready for it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I like to just take on whatever happens. I come, I got it from my dad, I think. He just sort of, he just works with whatever's there, you know. Um, and, and so when Brian started kind of going this way, I just went, yeah, let's, let's check this out. Let, what happens when, when the notes are exactly at the same time and, and you're doing a double and it's exactly the same? Well, guess what? It's not exactly the same. Even though you yeah. think it is, it's not. So it spreads, right? It becomes right. this moving stereo field. Um, and and, and it's, it's great. I had an engineer go, when Brian did, I don't know if you know the album, but um, uh, Breakdown in Paradise, we had a song on there called Guilty. It was our first, the first album that Brian and I did together completely without other, other people uh, from the old band. And uh, he did, in Guilty, he did a, a vibraphone solo. Wow. He, he wow. did a vibraphone solo where he, he really played fast and everything, you know, his typical thing. Like, and, uh, and then he doubled it. <laughs> and it was in the summertime in Mushroom Studios, and we had a big fan there because he was stripped right down to his shorts. He was just sweating. Just covered in sweat, and he probably worked on this thing for an hour and a half, or you know, he hard work, hard work. And the engineer goes, "It was great five minutes ago, ten minutes ago. Why are we doing this?" And I said, "Just listen to what it sounds like, because when he did, when he does it, and he got it just right, it sounds amazing, you know. Yeah. And that's what he'd do with this guitar. He'd double it, and he'd be that picky." So we got as a, as a producers so that, that we would do the punches. If Brian was playing, I would punch. If I was doing something, Brian would punch. Because no one knew timing as well as we did. And I learned from him, right? And, right? and just like we could punch between syllables and stuff, you know? Like, and in the old days with those machines, you had to anticipate, as you probably remember. Yes. You know? Yeah, the, you, had to, you had to judge that little space. Yeah. Where do you think Brian got that from? The, you know? Yeah. Well, I know he studied classical music when he was a kid. And I think he probably got pretty good at it. And also, he was a, um, a competing figure skater. Wow. Wow. I did not and, know that. Yeah. And he had to make a choice at one point. It was either music or figure skating, one or the other. So he went with music. But... But, you know, if you're in competition as an athlete like that or, or a dancer or, or anything like that, I'm sorry. You know, it's freaking hard work. They work yeah. really hard. Yep. So, you know, I think that might have been part of it. Yeah, yeah I, would oh, think, I would think, you know, the synchronicity of music with the, with the jumps and all that stuff, you probably get tuned into timing really quickly, right? Oh, yeah, that too, yeah. Yeah, he should have combined them both. Then he'd have found something. Figure skating while playing that strat would have been really cool. Why didn't he do that? Right? <laughs> Missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess he would have had that kind of bond with Darby too, because wasn't she a figure skater? Yeah, she was. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. They could have done a video together like that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, in Canada, that's not that much of a, you know, not that much of a reach. You know, we all skate. It's just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it should have been, don't it make you feel like skating? <laughs> <laughs> that was a missed opportunity right there. No, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. 
I'm not sure yeah, about exactly. that idea. I'm sure it's going to happen now. <laughs> so, but I'm yeah. glad you went back to playing guitar because I know you're you're such a great. I think you're a great rhythm kind of solid guitar player. I think that you know yeah. I understand that perfectionism, but I think sometimes that give and go really creates its own you know magic yeah. of itself. And that yeah. that is one thing <clears throat> that is one thing that I think Brian never really grasped. You know. Uh-huh. And I and I regret that I couldn't communicate that to him. I wish I, I wish I could have, but I but I couldn't. I wasn't the guy to do it. But you know, I remember going to uh, show and seeing uh, Los Lobos playing outdoors, and uh, man, they met every four bars. The rest of the time, I'm they were they were like it was all smeared. The yeah. times like this, you know, and then wham, <laughs> like that, right? But they knew where they were, but. But you know, it's, and it's part of the sound, right? It was the sound of the thing. It was so lazy, and I just loved it. <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. You actually totally different thing. I, yeah, I was going to say you actually inspired my guitar playing because uh, we've talked about this guy that I played with when I first moved to Vancouver, named Carson Cole, and you oh, produced yeah. like three songs for us. So I was, I was, I don't know if you remember that. I, I forget what studio it was, but. Um, when I, you know, I had my guitar solo all figured out, and I was this, you know, I was this cocky little hotshot guitar player. I was like, yeah, I got this thing. I'm gonna melt Bill's face, you know. <laughs> 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 and I remember you said, yeah. So, um, do you ever just play something that you feel in the moment, like just yeah. you know, you know, not so figured out. Just kind of go with your what you feel in this moment and how you, you know. And I was like. Wow, I've never heard that before. <laughs> and it kind of changed. It kind of changed things in that moment. It's like maybe I don't have to figure everything out perfectly before every every recording session, you know? Yeah. So that was that was great. Do you remember Carson Cole? I remember the name, but I yeah. that's it. That's it. He had a a voice like Joe, Joe Cocker. It's like ah, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Do 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 do. do. I think you produced that one actually. Uh, yeah. Anyway, where, where did you yeah. guys record, Corey? With it Bill? was in Vancouver. What? It was what in Vancouver. Studio? Yeah, what I can't studio? remember what studio it was. To be honest, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Did you, did you, it's weird. Go ahead. Did you have a? Was it a full band thing? Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody playing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and Larry Wanagus was the manager. Oh yeah, I remember Larry. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. um, anyway, the, that was my you first know, interaction with you. I had I had that thing given to me as well. So it's huh. like what we're doing now is we're we're passing, you know, we're like we're ancestors. We have I have ancestors as well. And, and when we first went down to LA, well, it wasn't the first, but we had after about six months or so, we ended up working with a guy named um, uh, Dave Hassinger. Dave Hassinger had engineered uh satisfaction uh 19th nervous breakdown uh all all the stone stuff that lou goldham was the producer they would come to la and dave was the dave was their their uh and their engineer and he'd done uh uh, jefferson airplane grateful dead that they were bands he had had engineered and probably produced as well i can't remember for sure if he produced them or not but he produced us so anyway we're in the studio one time and uh, 
early on and we're doing our stuff and we were really picky. And we'd come back and we'd listen in the control room and, and go, oh, Jesus, that's, I'm a little out of time there. I got a little out of tune there. man." And, and he said, hey, you guys, you take a tip from the stones. <laughs> they go out and they play. And when it feels good, they're done. <laughs> it's done. If it feels good, it's done. You, you, you played something wrong? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? And you know, it took me a long time, and I tried to. I tried to. Once I under, understood that, when I uh, I tried to tell other people, but I, I remember producing people, and it was the hardest thing to do. And and then I ran into the song uh, "Up Around the Bend," uh, which was uh, Creedence Clearwater. Remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. Come away, come away, if you go in as fast as your feet can fly. Yeah, it's really a cool tune, right? And I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to learn it because I was going to do it in a little, a little, uh, a little band that we had together and played Orestes New Year's. Anyways, uh, I wanted to learn it, so I'm listening. I'm listening. There's one point I cannot get the lyric, and and, and it's right it. I, then that I realized that he doubled the whole thing. And I ne- had never noticed before, but he doubled the whole thing. It was a pretty tight double. But at that point, two different words on the same note. Two different words, really? right? Yeah. So so I'm going to myself, okay, I'm a decent musician. I might not be the best, but I'm pretty good. I've heard this song tons of times. I love the song. Never had a problem with it. He actually sang two goddamn different words at the same time. <laughs> Talk about a mistake. Talk about people not noticing that kind of thing. You're, yeah. taking, you're taking up with the energy and the love and everything that's in that music. You're not looking at, you know, only a technician looks at that kind of stuff. And obviously he knew better than to change it. So he yeah, he's, like, he's like, it sounds good. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And somebody said, no one will ever notice. And he said, exactly. you're probably right. Yeah. yeah. And it's except, those kind of things that make it special too, right? Like, oh yeah, check it out. Here it comes. Yeah. Except, except yeah. Bill Henderson noticed it like 20 years, 30 years later, noticed it. Yeah, yeah. but that's when he was, that's when he was trying to get the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> Every, There's another one. Exactly. I was going to iTunes and listening to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Listen to that right after this. There's another one that, that I just love that took me years to, to, to realize and it was this this old song in the fifties called "You Got What It Takes." It was Brooke Benton and Dinah Washington. Dinah Washington was a, a real jazz blues singer. She was she was the real thing. Brooke Benton was a little more pop. He was they're both black, and they both had the black culture in them. But and uh, and black music they came from the same place. But he was a little more pop, right? So mm-hmm. they do this this record together. Boom do 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 do. Said baby. You got what it takes, and do do do. It's that kind of thing. So, halfway through, there's this point where they start talking to each other, and they're kind of laughing, and they're kind of talking to each other. And uh, I never thought much about it. It just kind of had a cheerful vibe to it. I was a kid. What did I know? Right? It just went by. It sounded good. It was fun. I liked it. Right? But I started. I I went back to it years later to just see why I liked it so much. What was it about that song? And what you realize is that Brooke comes in and starts singing his his part, 
when Dinah's supposed to be singing hers. And she says to him, whoa, whoa. And she goes, whoa, yeah, no, later. And, yeah, whoa. And then she sings her thing. And then she goes, now it's you. And he comes in and he sings and he does a thing and they're laughing and they're having a great time. Can you imagine the producer saying to them, that's great. That's a tape. They're going to say, no, 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 we screwed up. You know, we got to do that. Brooke came in at the wrong time. And you know, we were talking, right? No, no, no. I love it. It's great. It's a hit. Right. And it was. It was huge. That's so, so funny. She, she was literally directing him, like, not now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, <laughs> man, you're slow, baby, right? <laughs> give, I give, love it. Teasing him and giving him shit, right? <laughs> that's, that's the real part of it, right? You probably couldn't do that again if they tried, you know? Absolutely. True. Never happened again. No, once Never happened again. One in a million. And it was so much fun, you know. The thing was a fun thing anyway. And and that just capped it, I guess. The producer realized that this would really sell the song. Yeah. yeah. What they call happy accidents, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Love them. Yeah. So, um, Absolutely. I remember you, we, um, my band was in a Band Wars competition on the island in Nanaimo. And you were the judge of that. We were called the Explorers. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I remember the Explorers. Yeah. So that, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember you telling me a story at that time. Actually, you got up and sang My Girl with us at the end. <laughs> we actually won. And thank you for, for, for voting for us. We actually won wow. that band wars. And then you got up and sang My Girl with us at the end of the night, which was, you know, just was so amazing. But I remember you told me a story about I Believe. And I, ho I hope you can tell it again now about why you thought it was plagiarism at the time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I got the, the chorus was the first thing I got. I believe, and uh, after I finished the song, I uh, I suddenly realized that I'd heard that before, and uh, <clears throat> I knew that songs, you know, that if I didn't write a song that sounded like you'd heard it before, no one was going to like it. But if I wrote a song that's, that was a ripoff of somebody else, I was going to get sued. So, you know, like, and, and it wouldn't be mine anyway. It wouldn't feel right, right? So so there's some place in between, a sweet spot in between where where people are going to really like the song and it's going to be your song. So I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was on that gradient. So um, so what I did was I, I uh, went around and played it for people. And and I would say to them, I'd play them the chorus, I believe they're changing me. And then I'd go, oh, what do you think? And they'd go, oh, I like that, that's nice. And I'd say, sound familiar? And they'd go, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And I'd say, but does it sound like a song you've heard before? <laughs> I don't think so. And then, and then I'd sing them the song I was, which is, honesty. It's such a lonely word. Billy Joel. Because it goes, ba -da -da, that thing, and the, da -da, the falling line underneath it. Da -da -da, the, he did that. He did yeah. that. And right. it's, I mean, there are a number of Latin songs that have done that over the last few centuries. But anyways, or at least one. Uh, and uh, so, but people always said, oh, well, I guess sort of. I guess it's sort of the same, but not really. So, yeah, I just got away with it. You know, it was amazing. Well, uh, until I, now, 
Yeah, you, 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 um, <laughs> when, when you said that, exactly. <laughs> I'm history now. <laughs> oh boy, here they come, the lawsuits. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of honesty. I was a big fan of honesty. And when you told me that, I said, no, nah, that's not close enough. And they're both awesome songs on their own. So, uh, I, I never thought it would, they were close, that close. But yeah. I, can see, I can see, you know, the intervals are, are very similar. Yeah. I, I mean, I was paranoid about it. Yeah. Well, As they well, always say, they always say professionals steal and amateurs borrow. So, you know, there's a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've all been stealing from the Beatles all these years in some fashion oh, or so, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul got all that stuff from his dad and, you know, the, the whole English music hall thing that he, he inherited. Wow. Totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 You but, hear that all the time in his music. Yeah. Yeah. But Lennon was the one that really uh, inspired me. And it was a funny thing because uh, I, I heard, it, heard the first few songs they had out as singles and someone said, played them for me. And I went, well, I've heard that lots of times before. It doesn't do anything for me. And, uh, and then I was walking downtown with a friend in the movie theater, Hard Day's Night, the poster. And the four guys, their heads kind of stacked up like this. And, and Lennon. His face, I just went, wow, there's something about this guy. And so we went in and saw it. And, and I, from that point on, I was a complete nut for the Beatles. My, my nylon string guitar went under the bed and the electric came out again. I started writing songs right away. And yeah, yeah, yeah he just, uh, I loved his energy. I love his, uh, I love the asshole that he was. I love the smarts that he had. I, yeah. I love the, oh, yeah. I, I the way he had a, and there was an ethic. It was kind of an ethic there that was just goes real deep. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, they kind of launched a thousand ships, that band, didn't they? As far as musicians <laughs> and writers go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. Amazing. Well, so what we, were you doing when when COVID hit, and um, what like what were you were you yeah. touring or anything like that? And and will that be happening soon? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we were. Uh, what was it? Uh, oh yeah, we were uh, in the Vancouver airport, and things were starting to get serious about COVID, and they hadn't really got all the restrictions in place, but. Mm. It was getting serious, and I'm phoning up. We're we're supposed to play uh, Rama uh, Casino Rama. It's so, yeah, so I I phoned them up and I said, "Look, you know, it doesn't look like this is going to happen. You sure you want us to come out there?" Oh yeah, you got to come out. I said, "You're going to cancel. I don't want to come out there and sit because we always went a day before, so we had a good night's sleep and all of that." Sure enough. They never said a thing. They never said we got had to go out. We went out. They never said a thing. They never said a thing. Going down for sound check. Gigs canceled. Oh, you no. know, <laughs> we was like, oh, it's going to happen. Canceled. So yeah, that was the last one. We didn't play it, and and that was in February. So it's a year ago, and uh, I have found the COVID thing, you know, pretty depressing. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I I tried to. I tried to do some, uh, you know, streaming, and some of it was okay, and some of it was really god awful. And uh, I, um, I'm trying to learn 
I've got Ableton, and, I'm, I, and I've been work. I've been working with Live for about four or five years, but it's so bizarre. I've never really gotten deeply into it. I'm trying to get deeper into it, and and Native Instruments with Reactor, which is like, oh yeah, I want to do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun, but it's so hard. If it, they don't, they're not very good at writing manuals. You know, they just <laughs> holy crap. You just got to Google everything to figure out how it works. So that. That's been a bit of a pursuit. The other thing is just uh, being, I live here, you know, we've got eight, eight acres here in the country and oh, wow. it's, pre it's pretty nice. And uh, uh, when the wind blows really, really hard, a big fir will come down. I go up there with my saws and my axe and I'm, you know, bucking it up because we, we heat the place with firewood. We got a, a big uh, cook stove, uh, wood, wood burning oh. cook stove. So, that keeps me busy, right? And I'm finding the exercise is very helpful. Um, I don't know what's going to happen when when it comes, you know, if they finally say, okay, everybody, you know, you can go and do your thing now. It's all fine. And uh, I don't know what I'll do. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that this, this whole thing teaches us that I think is so cool for musicians is that <clears throat> the fact that a live gig is the hardest thing to get lifted from the restrictions just proves that nothing brings people together better than music. That's true. Well it's it's proof. So I think the biggest thing I learned from from this pandemic was that I need to learn a new trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my backup plan of my backup plan of wearing spandex and fighting crime is just not going to work out. Right? <laughs> Why not? Well, first of all, I don't I don't know how to fight, so that's a big problem. <laughs> my training is my training has all been in this business. Damn it! It's like you know, so so you got the span you got the spandex. Of course, yeah, I've had the spandex all along. <laughs> the spandex works for either gig. That's right. yeah, it's yeah, both gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Just put some wings on your heels, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Which which gold record is that behind you, or or platinum? I'm very curious to know which one that is. That's uh, Segway, the greatest hits, the first Great. version of the greatest hits. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Old Segway. Yeah. Amazing. What year did that come out? Eighty four. Okay. Eighty. Great. I think it was wow. eighty four. Yeah, we were making the uh, making the last Hillock album there with Simon. Phillips and Mo Foster and had these wonderful guys playing and uh, we needed a little time so the record company said let's do a greatest hits thing and <clears throat> so you never yeah. got bit by a bug to to record another under the Chilliwack title and have it just some new music that's never presented itself for you no I, I mean I've, I've got a bunch of new stuff but what happened was uh I decided that uh, I, I I didn't want to go out into the big the big rooms anymore, the arenas and stuff, which we you know had done, because I didn't. Mm -hmm. One thing I didn't like about them was I couldn't see the audience because of the light, right, in your face, and I was always playing into this this dark this darkness, um, mm -hmm. and and that went totally against everything that I treasured about about what I was doing. Like I want the contact, right? I want that totally. energy. I want that energy couldn't get it so so i thought well let's go and play small venues let's go play clubs yeah you know it'll be like they'll be right there and we can all get 
Well, it was the 80s. Clubs in the 80s in Canada? Are you kidding me? Playing them? <laughs> Nobody's listening. They just want to get laid. That's all they're there for, right? That's just all it is. And, and it's like, uh, I did it for like three years and finally went, This enough of this. I'm not doing it anymore. So I was hoping to get energized and I'd come up with a new album because the one that had come out from 1984 absolutely flopped because the record company went bankrupt with solid gold. They, they, uh, they spent too much money on the head pins and probably a few other things. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, they did go yeah. bankrupt and, and so they didn't promote the record. So I had, I'd had enough of that stuff and I just wanted to go and play. I just wanted to play. I went out to play. Nobody was listening. So I was like, oh, fuck this, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I started doing solo things. Yeah. And I, and I did that. I, I did uh, festivals. I did the folk clubs. And I found that the festivals, the folk festivals, were what rock festivals were in 1969. Hmm. They, they you know, were like a party. They were, uh, wasn't so heavy as, as rock festivals became. and wasn't so streamlined, industrialized. It was kind of all over the place, which I liked. <clears throat> so I did folk festivals, and I really enjoyed that. So, so far, no... No, nothing make me want to do Chilliwack, right? Chilliwack had almost pretty much disappeared at this point. Then I put the band back together again because I was I did UHF for a number a number of years. Right with, with Jerry Jerry Elrod. Elrod. Yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, and they were they're amazing. They're wonderful musicians, mm -hmm. and uh, so that uh, was great. But then I restarted missing the bass and drums. Man, I missed that. <coughs> missed that thing. Yeah. So. You know, so I started doing Chilliwack again, put it back together, got Jerry back in, and the drummer, and, and uh, my brother playing guitar. and uh, Yeah. Yeah. And and so we went out and we played for the next 20 years. We played Chilliwack stuff. And I would write new songs. But the thing is, now the songs I'm writing, I can only write what I feel like writing. And the songs I'm writing are almost all about uh, what's going on in the world right now. Mm -hmm. all the various things like i wrote one called patent on the wind which was about you know monsanto and and uh, uh um life patenting and all of that kind of stuff you know where where the wind blew seed into uh percy schmeiser's field and and so he ended up with their corn and so or their uh, not corn but uh, uh canola and so they sued they sued him and he never planted it and they sued him because they have a patent on that seat what do you mean you have a patent on life hello what yeah that's you so know? weird and, yeah. and uh so i wrote a song about it and it's a real rocker and all of that but you know people uh we're playing live people don't really they want to hear the, the old songs mm, sure yeah so we yeah. throw in it throw in a new one but yeah then we get another new one. We take the old, the other one out, and put the the new new one in. And you know, I don't know, man. Yeah. You know, I don't know if there'll ever be another Chilliwack album. Maybe, know. maybe if you started one of those new songs like Mon 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 Monsanto, Mon 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 Monsanto. Maybe, maybe that would. That's a thought. That's a thought. You still <laughs> produce, right? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that one. You produce you. that? Okay. <laughs> well, it's a good problem. To have so many hits that you you know your your set is full of you can't really take out in a sense you know what I mean it's like what are you gonna do replace that song with something else it that's a nice way sense. to put it a nice way to put yeah. it thank you you guys yeah. are very kind 
No, it's, honestly, and, it's been a real thrill having you. God. You're, I wanted you're the to Holy say Grail too, guest. The Holy Grail if, guest. 100%. If, there, if there's a, a, uh, a gold record on your wall as a you know, validation for some success, we do have to mention that when SCTV and the Recess Monkeys cover <laughs> My Girl Gone, Gone, Gone so epically, I think that's that says it says it right there how awesome that was that's yeah the power of a song you know what i mean yeah th- th- that was an, an amazing kind of uh, affirmation <laughs> gift whatever you want to call it stamp of approval or something yeah the, re- the recess monkeys covering your song <laughs> john candy rick moranis and yeah. gene levy was it gene levy oh, yeah God, like yeah, yeah. Singing That's my amazing. girl, yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah. like a Goodbye. like at a wedding dance or something. Gone, gone, gone. Like and the high school, wallowing in the middle. Gone, gone, gone. It's gone so long. <laughs> she been gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Candy stole the show with that one. That little gulp. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guitar solo was pretty cool too. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that was yeah. great. Yeah, well, this has been awesome. Well, well, it has been a good time. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thanks, want to, uh, yeah, thank you for hanging with us for, uh, well, over an hour now. We know uh, everybody's got lots of places to go and lots of things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, thanks so much, you guys. I really enjoyed this, and uh, it was a thrill to thank be asked. Know. And and you're a great bunch of guys, and your music is amazing. And thank wow, you. that's that's. Cool. Thank you, sir. That means a lot coming from you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll get together and we'll do a, a show together whenever this gets back to Yeah, normal. it would be really nice to be seeing be people fun. in person, you know. We, we get to hang out with somebody every week, but it'd be really nice to be able to kind of hang in person. Have a coffee, a Tim Hortons or something, for God's sake. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even, even one of your own kids or something. It'd just be something else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, wow. exactly. I know. Right. It's been too long. I haven't been to Canada <laughs> in a year or so for me it's like i haven't seen family in a long time yeah wow yeah yeah well, here's the things getting better and uh, onward and upward right so yeah, 100%. yeah. Uh, it has been great and uh, i want to thank everybody for tuning in and uh, we will see you uh, back here next tuesday you got it thank thanks, you. Bill. Thanks, guys. Yes, bill. thanks bill you're the best great talking to you you All right. too